We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's episode of Setting the Pace, Rhett Bauer joins me for an awesome conversation where we're going to break down the first round of the playoffs for the Eastern Conference and give our takeaways from how the Pacers can learn from all of the things that happened. So let's get into it. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. as a guest it's the great red bauer Rhett, what's going on man not much just excited to finally get on here and do this we've had to reschedule a couple times and we've been <laughs> texting back and forth i feel like we've done the whole podcast already in text mean, form. my goodness yeah i felt bad because like i was supposed to record with you on like wednesday night and that one fell through and then i was supposed to record it like an hour ago and i just had to keep pushing it back keep pushing it back because i just didn't know when i was going to get home from work because that's just how life happens but uh, Rhett, go ahead and tell everybody what we're going to be doing today in terms of uh, podcast-wise. Yeah, so the first round is about over, and I thought it would be fun to look at the playoffs and try to see what the Pacers can learn from each of the teams and the matchups that they're facing, whether it be roster building, uh, sort of the trajectory of the teams, the decisions that they've made to get to where they are and the decisions that might be upcoming. And uh, I feel like there's a lot to take away from all of these matchups. And so I'm excited to see what you came up with in that regard. Yeah. So I will be honest, we're only going to do the Eastern conference today because we are on a time crunch a little bit, have about 40 minutes here to record all of this. So I think if we went into the weeds a little bit too much and tried to do the Western Conference, we'd be here for two hours probably. So Easily, uh, yeah. So I, I think we just got to start with the one seed, the Milwaukee Bucks, taking on the number eight Miami Heat, lose that series in five games. I, I think everybody was completely stunned by this. And there was a lot of takeaways uh, that came from this series. So, Rhett, I'll let you take the floor. Jimmy Butler is a top 10 player, and I'll hear nothing to the contrary. That is the first and foremost takeaway. And I think the Pacers takeaway there is that if you have a guy who wants it, that might be enough. 
Like if you if you have a guy who wants to go out there and tear the heart out of your opponent, that might be enough because the Bucks did want did not want anything to do with the end of that game, and Jimmy wanted everything to do with every single possession on both ends of the floor. Yeah, no, that's the thing, Jimmy Butler. I mean, he is a different animal in the playoffs. What he was able to do, the way he was able to close out the series, the way he was able to have these huge fourth quarter runs, you just it, it's just weird. And I and I will say this. When you have Giannis Antetokounmpo almost giving the game away by throwing the ball out of bounds where Chris Middleton has to save it because he's that afraid of shooting free throws, that is a bit problematic to me. I mean, I love Giannis. I actually thought he was the MVP of this season because of what he does on both sides of the floor. And I thought, man, Milwaukee was so much better when he was in there. When he was out, you could tell this team it was just bad. But I I will say this. For me, the biggest takeaway from this series to me was how the Milwaukee Bucks constructed their roster around Giannis Antetokounmpo. Look, this team, to me, has a lot of question marks moving forward, but I think if you go all in too heavy on the vets, that is a bit problematic because injuries happen more than likely. It's the guys that are a little bit older, a lot more miles on their body, so it's easier to break down. They traded five second-round picks for Drake Crowder. He had two DNP coaches' decisions the last two games. So basically, you traded away... Jordan Moore to the Pacers, you know, advantage here and George Hill. And you moved off from Serge Ibaka, who was doing nothing, obviously, but gave up three players and five picks for a guy that you couldn't even count on in the playoffs that you thought was going to be this big swing man. And unfortunately, it, to me, it's just like, I think you have to have a balance of youth and veterans on your team when you're trying to build a contender. I think that they went too far in with trying to add Joe Ingles and Jay Crowder. And now that was their, that was their big, pickups in the offseason and I don't think it really worked out for them. no and looking at their draft history too it's pretty sad um they traded away a lot of the picks but a lot of the players that they took were just not very good I really like the Marjan Beauchamp pick um Dante DiVincenzo is awesome but they let him walk for mostly financial reasons mm-hmm. or and because he was underperforming because he wasn't shooting very well it's like man that guy contributes all across the board and you kind of need those guys when you have Giannis out there who he has his flaws you got Brooke Lopez who's going to be out there he has his defensive limitations even though he's amazing in that role and then you have Drew and Chris who are two very very good players but they just didn't have a lot of options like Javon Carter were you obviously they weren't psyched about playing him Wesley Matthews nope Jay Crowder nope Pat Connaughton sure Bobby Portis but that's a that's three bigs that are in your top seven. Like that's yeah. that's Bobby Fortis, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez are three of your seven best players. That's just not going to work. Mm-mm. You can't play them all at the same time. And I think that's something that the Pacers have found out the last couple of years, especially with their Turbonus stuff. And now looking forward with like the Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, Miles Turner group, Daniel Tice, but we're not really going to count him. So that like, I think there's some roster construction takeaways. There's some asset management takeaways, like you said, with Crowder. And then there's also some, some slight coaching takeaways, I think too, for a guy like Rick Carlisle, who's shown he can adapt for sure. Uh, but is probably one of the most stubborn NBA coaches still in the league. But I think there's definitely some some takeaways at all levels uh, from this Bucks heat series, even though uh, I do think the Miami heat roster construction is also flawed. It mm-hmm. just so happened that it was flawed in a way that didn't really matter as much when it came down to it. Well, and this goes to my second point, because I think you can have a flawed roster as long as you have a great coach. 
And I think yes. a great coach will get the best out of his team and not be so reliant upon what the star does. Now, I do believe that that's just the game of basketball. You only go as far as your stars will take you because, you know, as great of a coach as, you know, Eric Spolster is, Jimmy Butler is the one that deserves all the credit. So let's not just sit and be like, well, you got to give Spoke credit. But no, like the the, the decision to bench Kyle Lowry yep. and allows Gabe Vincent to start. Look, Gabe Vincent had some games where he was pretty MIA offensively, but when they were down by four points, he hits a huge tough three to cut within one. And then Drew Holiday makes that terrible pass to Chris Middleton that caused a jump ball. So it's like everything changed right then and there because of some, you know, different, who knows if Gabe Vincent's in the game, if you're looking at a coach who's too afraid to make those big of changes, because look, I mean, they didn't trade for Kyle Lowry to be the backup point guard. They traded for him to be in that lineup with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo to be that guy. And he just hasn't been at that year. So I think for me, coaching matters. And let's just be honest, Coach Budenholzer should have been fired or would have been fired, not should have been, but he would have been fired had they lost that series to the Brooklyn Nets. Yes. In 2021, the year they actually won the championship. And I and I know that Rick Carlisle's name just came out right around that time. So if if the Bucs end up losing that series, I can say there's a decent chance Carlisle's the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks right now instead of the Indiana Pacers. And it's just like, I think that Rick Carlisle is, is very smart, and I think he's learned how to adjust to to this group. But for me in this in this whole thing, I just think coaching matters. Um, getting out coached by Spo is not something that's new. Uh, it happens. Uh, that, I'm pretty sure that's 29 coaches in the NBA yeah, are going to get out coached by Spo. He's a he's a terrific basketball mind, and I think it was easy to kind of like ride him off early on because he had LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, and another reason just to hate him. But now seeing what he's done with all these lineups, and let's be honest, uh, addition by subtraction with Tyler Hero and Victor Oladipo, maybe so. Uh, I mean, I'm not a huge Tyler Hero fan. I think he would have been helpful in the series, but also gave Vincent. He made the pass to Jimmy Butler. No, that pass that regulation. Sick. Yeah, you're right. That's unbelievable. Like, I mean, I think that's the second time Jimmy's had like an alley-oop in a late game after timeout. But again, that's another situation where Jimmy being the star player, I was listening to uh, – I remember who it was. It might have been Zach Lowe talk about it, or maybe it was uh, the Athletic NBA po- NBA pod. But like they were like Jimmy said, hey, they're trailing me around these screens. I'm gonna be open if I go back to the basket. And Spo listened, drew the play up, drew or Vincent incredible pass. I don't know. It's just everything came together in a certain way that definitely did not favor uh, Milwaukee. But yeah, I think that that's that is the thing is you know next man up. I think depth matters a ton in the playoffs. And you saw that with Milwaukee when they didn't have guys out there who could really step up or wanted to step up, or maybe they didn't have a coach who trusted them to do it. But Milwaukee had guys like Haywood Highsmith out there having big roles. Cody Zeller had an incredible play to close out regulation. Uh, Caleb Martin being phenomenal. Max Struess out there. Duncan Robinson, who couldn't hit a shot all year, comes out and hits, I think, five straight threes in game four or something like that. Like, there's just dudes that are just ready to step up. And I think that that, I make fun of heat culture a lot, but I do think there's something to it where it's like, hey, you guys all need to be ready. And they kind of, they kind of proved to be the better team in that regard, just next man up. And they ended up pulling off a crazy, crazy upset. Yeah. 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 I mean, and Jimmy Butler is that guy. Jimmy Butler is a dog. And I think that, you know, Having a wing player like Jimmy Butler, a guy that can literally guard probably one through five if he's asked to do it, that's huge. Now, it's not easy to find those kind of guys, so I'm not going to sit there and put all that pressure on the front office, but 
I mean, that's a that's a reason why they can win it. That's why not a championship, but at least they can make a long playoff run. I mean, they could win. You never know. I mean, I'm just saying. But uh, the way they were able to take care of business, now I get it. Giannis played in what two of the five games, basically two and a half, two and yeah. a quarter, whatever yep. you want to call it. But still, they they took care of business when Giannis was there, and Giannis could have been hurt. And you know, I don't want to take away from that, but I, I think it's important. But one thing that you brought up, and that was Caleb Martin. I, I actually wrote down: Can the Pacers find their Caleb Martin? I said a tough-nosed dog that does whatever is asked of him and can play starter-level minutes. This, to me, I I don't know if the Pacers have it, but I wrote maybe Aaron Neesmith, question mark. Can he be that for the Pacers? Can he be their Caleb Martin? I think that that's a great shout. And I think uh, looking at Caleb Martin's year this year, 10 points, five boards, one and a half assists, one steal shot, 46 from the field, 36 from three, 81 from the line. That is darn close to what Aaron Neesmith did this year. It just so happened that Caleb Martin did it in 29 minutes where Neesmith was right around that 25 mark. So, yeah, maybe that is maybe that is Neesmith's role is sometimes start. He only started 49 games out of 71. Sometimes start. Sometimes get asked to be the power forward when you're not at all a power forward. Also yeah. looking at you, Aaron Neesmith. But, yeah, it's just like have a bunch of dudes who can go in there and do a bunch of stuff, have a nose for the ball, like you said low mistakes, decently efficient from everywhere. And how many big plays did he have to close out game four? Didn't he, he had like a diving out of bounds save to Jimmy Butler. And then he came right back into the play and hit a toe on the line three mm-hmm. ended up being two, obviously, but like dudes like that, like you're just going to go out there and make winning plays. And that's just, that's just awesome. They just, he just did whatever they asked him to. And I would absolutely love for Neesmith to have that kind of role moving forward. And I, and I can actually kind of see that for him. I think he'd be able to buy into that kind of role because uh, Kevin Pritchard overemphasized it, but he talked about it a few different times when I heard him. But Aaron Neesmith, they asked him what position he wants to play or he thinks he's best at, and he said, wherever you want to play me. So that to me is like, okay, this sounds like a Caleb Martin kind of guy, and that's exciting for me. So I think I can kind of wrap this series up. If there's anything else you want to throw out there from this series, let me know. Nope, if not, I'm all good. On. All right, let's move on. Celtics and Hawks, this one just finished Thursday night during the NFL draft. I'm sure a lot of people didn't catch that game because I know I was – uh, distracted watching other stuff like the NFL draft. Shout out Anthony Richardson, Colts new quarterback. But um, I will say that this was a series that probably went longer than I think people expected. Six games and the Hawks really, you know, gave the Celtics a little bit of a run for their money. So what did you learn from this series? I think, first off, from the Boston side of things, having a starting level guard on the floor at all times is a cheat code in the playoffs. Like And more often than not, the Celtics had two of them out there, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Derek White. Like That is just, we talk about depth. There's obviously having depth pieces, and then there's having three, maybe four, if you count Jalen Brown as a guard, four starting guards on one roster. That is just absolutely incredible roster building, and we've seen it from them the last couple of years where at the deadline, they trade for Derek White. He gets into the finals. They double down on that going after Malcolm Brogdon and consolidating all those salaries to do it. Uh, it's just, it's just absolutely fantastic. And having those kinds of players out there is just going to keep, it's going to matter more and more as the Celtics uh, presumably keep moving on in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote down, look, they got Jason Tatum and they got Jalen Brown. That's that helps. Great, yes. That's a great starting point, but you know how they got them. They got them through the draft. They went out there and made the right moves to get them. You know, a lot of people thought Jalen Brown was a reach when they took him where they took him. A lot of people at that time thought Chris Dunn should have been their pick. Uh, They traded back from one to three to get Jason Tatum, and he's probably the best player from that draft, arguably. So, you know, 
it's it's arguably. I, I'm sure there's other players in that draft that you might say, uh, I think he's better. But I Marco think Fultz he, coming along. Yeah, exactly. I know he's your guy, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk about that another day. But I think that if you look at the Pacers' track record from the draft, outside of last season getting Matherin and Nimhart, you don't feel great about Pritchard's track record. So can Pritchard fix those errors? Hopefully so, and that we have higher picks, but can he right the ship and continue to build correctly through the draft? Because another player we didn't mention that's part of the Celtics team that was drafted by them, Marcus Smart. In the later rounds, they got Robert Williams. They've done a very good job of finding talent, evaluating it, and making those picks. Now they have had their whiffs. Um, you know, Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith, those kind of guys that didn't really see the floor a lot, but they were able to flip both those players in trades with a 2023 pick that's not going to be that great for the Pacers at 29. And I believe it's a 2027 pick they traded to the Spurs that landed them Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White to go into their top six rotation. So they have done a great job of figuring out how to you kind of kind of liquidate their assets to to shorten up the sure of their rotation, but also shorten it up a little bit because you know come the finals, six to seven man rotation is all you really need. And I think having those type of players that can fit in that well makes a lot of sense. Well you know the the thing about the Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum picks is those were not Boston's own picks. They Those were from them. the Nets, yeah, yeah, from a very opportunistic trade that changed the direction of their franchise from one that was floundering and probably on the way down to one that is that went. They bottomed out, and then they immediately drafted three starters, two All NBA players this year, and they doubled down and then went for Kyrie Irving one year later. And so I think that there might be a small parallel there. Obviously, Sabonis is at a way different point in his career than 38-year-old Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. But there's right. kind of a similarity there, too, is where it's like, all right, you you change direction of your franchise, get some franchise pieces, get some extra draft picks along the way. If you hit on them in the right way, like you said, with Time Lord late in the first, even Peyton Pritchard, who's a solid NBA guard who just doesn't play because they have four starting guards. Right. Like you can, you can build your roster in such a way that it is um, just extremely versatile up and down. And I think that that leads into one of my takeaways from Atlanta. Trading too many of your assets for a player that you hope single-handedly addresses one of your biggest flaws for your franchise player may not actually be the right move. Yeah. Like Atlanta did that for DeJounte. And I love DeJounte. I have a jersey of him right behind me. Like I <laughs> thought it was a pretty, it's a pretty good fit for Atlanta, but they didn't do anything else with the roster. They kept John Collins. They let uh Kevin Herter go for a first round pick and Justin Holiday, which love Jay Holla, but not not super great there. And then Minnesota did the same thing with Gobert, trying to bring him in to cover for Cat's flaws. And I could see that depending on the price coming into play for the Pacers this summer, where it's like, hey, we need a four and we need defense. And so we're going to go out and get X player, whoever it is, and use up so many of your assets to the point where you don't have enough moving forward to address the flaw that you don't know about your roster yet because you haven't seen that all play out. So I think that that's a cautionary tale too. There's obviously plenty of options out there of teams that make big trades that work, but I think Cleveland kind of same thing with Donovan Mitchell, right? Like obviously they have a lot more time because there's a lot of contracts and a lot of years on those contracts, a lot of young players, but they use all of their assets to get Donovan Mitchell to address a secondary shot creator or primary shot creator, push Darius Garland down. They didn't have another asset to go out there and upgrade the three position. And that's kind of what cost them. 
Yeah, no, I agree with all of that. And I, and I want to piggyback off of what you said, you know, go on all in and, you know, when is it time to go all in? Because I think that's a great yes. conversation because, you know, the, the Hawks, I don't think they were ready. Nobody expected and nobody even thought that DeJounte Murray pick really or the trade really moved them that far up in the standings. It was just, no. like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And, you know, I kind of wondered if they were trading for Trey's replacement eventually, because that's where it comes down to. How far can a team that's led by Trey Young make it in the NBA? I, I I have loved what I've seen from Trey in the playoffs so far. He's brought some really fun moments offensively. But defensively, he is such a liability. Now, he is a little yeah. bit smaller, but I think that, you know, we've seen how bad this Pacers defensive team has been. And the Hawks, you know, they can put they can put points on the board, but they've, you know, they've really got a they're they're not gonna be what I'm trying to say is they're they're only able to go so far. And I think that's kind of what that does with having Trey Young as your best player. It does cap how far you can go. So Yes, and that that was another point I had. It doesn't usually end up mattering how good you are on offense if you're a defensive liability. Correct. Halliburton yeah. is not Trey. Very different players, very different sizes. But Trey's a similar vein of superstars, like Jimmy Butler, as far as like the F Trey Young chats, like yeah. those fire him up. He steps up in the biggest moments. It just he's doesn't a matter because he can't play defense. Yeah, he's he's a gamer, but he's also the biggest liability on the defensive yeah. end of the floor. So yep. you're you're kind of got your hands tied there. And let's be honest, if he was this great of a player, why would there be rumors about Trey Young being on the trade block? Okay. That to me is just like, you know, I think that you have to realize at the end of the day, well, he is a very great offensive player. Good passer. I think he's an underrated playmaker and an awesome shot maker. He will hurt you, you know, on the defense side of the things, uh, side of the ball so much that I think they kind of cancel each other out. So, unfortunately, I think that you can't build your team around someone like that. And I also think that John Collins at this point, the Pacers have a lot of interest in John Collins, or they've been rumored to like him, and I really liked him all the way back to the 17 draft. Thank God they didn't actually draft him because I think they would have been had their hands tied behind their back as well, overpaying to keep him because I think at this point, what's he making 25 million a year, something like that. 27. I can't remember. It's around that range. I just feel like that's an overpay for John Collins. He is too limited with what he can do and too inconsistent. Yeah. I had that down here as well. Uh, a power forward that can't really shoot, but also can't really do anything with the ball. is just unsustainable against the top teams in the league. And I was, I was kind of on board with trading for John Collins, depending on the price most of this year, because I think he is a good fit with miles, but the more I watch John Collins, the more his shot doesn't return because he got a jacked up finger. And the more I see teams just not really care if he's open and not be able to guard him in a certain way and seeing what made miles successful. I'm just not interested. I'm just not interested. (laughs) uh, Hardly, hardly at all. I mean, I'm sure there's some trade package that'd be like, okay, fine. That's worth a flyer. But yeah, I had, down here, a roster relying solely on one player to get them shots can dissolve when it matters. Yeah. Relying yeah. completely on Tyrese Halliburton or Trey Young to create all of your offense is not going to be sustainable. Yeah. And that's why I think we've seen Andrew Nimhart in the starting lineup with him because you have to have a secondary playmaker out there because that's what you yep. had when you had Sabonis. Even yep. as much as Brogdon wasn't a great playmaker, he could still playmake a little bit. And you don't yeah. see that from Turner. You really don't see it from Buddy. You don't see it from Neesmith. You don't see it from Matherin. Where are you finding it at with this Pacers team? It's it's your it's your guards, really, your three-point guards. <laughs> and you can you can count on some internal development. Like I think we both agree Matherin's gonna get better at creating shots for himself, scoring yeah. more efficiently and with passing. But like 
there's also such a long ways to go that you can't really count on that, on him being like a secondary playmaker in a way like a, like Brogdon is to Tatum and Brown right now or smart or white, like all of that. Like they've, the Pacers are sorely lacking players who can catch the ball, get run off the line and make another decision after that, rather than having made the decision when they put the ball on the floor the first time. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's move on to the next one here. The Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. This was a very boring series. Um, I didn't watch hardly any of it. I'll be honest with you. So, uh, I'll let you take the floor once again and, and let me know some of your takeaways from this series. Uh, putting players that fit each other on the floor at the same time works wonders. The Joel Embiid, James Harden pick and roll, drastically more effective than the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid pick and roll. And that's not even to get into who Ben Simmons is now, but like even back then, even when he was what he was, they were still trying to figure out how to build a roster around them. So now all of a sudden you get James Harden and it's like, holy cow, crazy what that does for a team. And I don't even like James Harden. It's just still crazy what that does for a team. So I think being able to look at your best player and being like, okay, we have talent. This is a very talented roster. Is it a well-fitting roster? And if not, go out there and make a trade that makes it a better fitting roster. And obviously Daryl Morey was incredibly patient with Ben Simmons in that whole situation because he knew he was going to get James Harden eventually. But even still there's there's something to a properly fitting roster being just infinitely more effective than a roster of homegrown players, which might end up coming into play for the Pacers. Yeah, and I, and I think one thing you can look at with the, the Sixers and the way they've built their roster as well, like P.J. Tucker is just guy that, you know, wherever he goes, those teams seem to have success. And even though he's not necessarily going to be this great offensive player, he brings he brings defense to the table, and that's go back to the Bucks. They won the championship when he was on their team. Leaves their team, goes to Miami. They take the Celtics. What was it? To seven games, yes, sir. And they were a, a step back three from Jimmy Butler, or a go ahead three from Jimmy Butler to, to mm-hmm. go into the finals. So I'm just saying that now he's with the Sixers, and, and it's just funny because PJ kind of started his really got big. I think people remember him from the Raptors, but playing with James Harden in Houston. And so now you've got chemistry there with Harden and Tucker. Uh, Tyrese Maxey has really elevated his game as well and become this really nice offensive player. And I think he's a little bit underrated defensively as well. But um, I think Tobias Harris is another guy that just seems to like – there's some nights when you look on the board, you're like, how did Tobias Harris get 20 points this game? He just kind of adds it in there, and he just kind of like the filler piece for this team. And I, and I think that – the Sixers now, this is a really good opportunity for them to get to the finals. With the Bucs being eliminated, this is the Eastern Conference Finals, in my opinion, coming up against them and the Celtics. I hate to say that to Miami or New York, but it just feels like these are the two best teams in the in the Eastern Conference. And Embiid's getting some extra time here now to get healthy. Um, I think that they were able to close out this series without Embiid does show that their depth is good enough that they can be a team that makes a deep run. And I also think while he gets crapped on a lot, I think Doc Rivers does have some positives to how he coaches and just the experience of being in these big game moments. We we need to give him a little bit more credit. It's easy to crap on him, but I think that he's not as bad as maybe we put him out to be. 
Well, that's because they that was the first round, and so anything past the first round true, is when we really true. start to see the Doc Rivers and James Harden and Joel Embiid of old come through. But no, I think <laughs> one of my one of my takeaways for this is like players like Jalen McDaniels and DeAnthony Melton bring a chaotic energy off the bench that starters usually don't, and that can swing an entire playoff game. Like, yeah, I. I Really like Jalen McDaniels, also Jaden McDaniels, but the price that they acquired him with, like, sure, go out there, take a swing. And he, but they went from Matisse Thibel to Jalen McDaniels. Again, a better fitting player, despite Matisse maybe being uh, a better player because of his defensive impact. DeAnthony Melton, late first round pick last year. Easy. New York mm. Knicks did the same thing with to get Josh Hart. Late first round picks can get you extremely valuable players. Um, and I, I just think that that's really, really something to watch for. And then also on the Brooklyn side of things, uh, cute stories with a bunch of underdogs just won't cut it when you get to actual NBA playoff competition. Man, like, who does that sound like? Exactly. McCall Bridges, fantastic. Love him. Would love him on the Pacers. He's overachieving. He's he's pl- he's stepping up in a huge, unexpected way. He was outmatched. He's out like he's not. That is not going to work in the playoffs in a way that is really fun to watch in the regular season. Um, and I think that that played out very, very clearly. Yeah, I, I honestly think when it comes to Mikael Bridges, like I, I love him on the Pacers. I think his fit would be, you know, seamless with Tyrese and Miles. And yep, um, if you if you kept Benedict and didn't have to get rid of him, I mean that just makes a ton of sense together. But Mikael Bridges as your best player your ceiling is is limited. And I and I will say this. I think Spencer Dinwiddie, while he had an awesome season in Dallas, did not love his tenure in Brooklyn. I thought it was okay. It was very average. Yeah. Uh, point guard play is huge in the playoffs. And the Pacers have seen that happen multiple times. You have to have playmaking. We just talked about it in the other series between the Hawks and the Celtics, right? And, and that to me is like they've got to find more playmakers on that team because – I don't really think they have a lot. So um, I, I've been, I was really impressed this year with the way Nick Claxton stepped up in his role. I think he's a good center moving forward for the Nets. And I think honestly, if you start building around uh, Bridges and, and Nick Claxton, that's a good foundation, but you got to build up on that. I don't know if I'd be overpaying for Cameron Johnson, even though I know he was part of that deal. I don't know if you want to lose him for nothing, but I don't want to, Pay him twenty-seven to thirty million dollars a year if I'm if I'm the Nets. If there's a team out there that's going to do that, and I wonder what Dorian Finney-Smith is going to look like without a true playmaker because he did not look like anything <laughs> that he looked like in Dallas. Without a playmaker, Dorian Finney-Smith is just a guy. Again, having players on the roster who can't really create for themselves can get really sketchy when the lights get bright. Yeah. You know, because once you get locked in on, it's like, all right, Doe, go ahead, put the ball on the floor, go, go create a shot. Oh, well, you mm-hmm. can't. Weird. It's four games gone. Go home. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that there's, they had a roster full of wings and they ended up losing in the playoffs. So, me as the primary wing slash forward advocator for uh, the NBA as a whole, even I recognize you have to have a balanced roster. Mm-hmm. And that is something that didn't, didn't play out in Brooklyn, obviously. I don't think the Hawks had a very balanced roster either. That played out. The Cavs had bigs and smalls, but no middles. And we saw that play out. This reminds you of the Pacers a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I think the even roster construction and uh, even if you do have to pivot, um, just 
keeping in mind the end goal. Cause I think that's what that's ultimately Brooklyn season. It should not be graded on their playoff performance because they weren't expecting to be here with this group of people. And so being able to pivot, get the stuff that they did. Um, and I'm assuming they're going to go into a very busy off season is uh, it's a different measure of success than what they started the season with. And you can't really fault the Nets front office for pivoting when they absolutely needed to, just like the Pacers did. Yeah, for sure. And I'll just say one last thing in that closing game. Like it was a pretty close game about halfway through the fourth. There's about six minutes left. And I think Mikhail Bridges uh, made two free throws to cut the lead from uh, six to four, 78, 74 at this point, the Brooklyn, uh, then Brooklyn just went on a, a dry spell for a while. And, and Philly ended up closing it out, scoring 18 points, outscoring them 18 to four. It was not 18. Wait a second. Is it 18? Yeah. They they ended up winning the game by eight points, but it was like much a much bigger lead than that by the end of the by the end of the fourth. And it was just like they just had their foot on their throat and they were able to close it out. They were by 14 at one point. And it was like, there's no way Brooklyn's able to come back from this. And I think a lot of that just comes down to the fact that Brooklyn did not have the star talent to match up even with a team. I don't think and B didn't play that game either, did he? So nope. So without Embiid, they weren't even able to hang with them <laughs> in that closing moment when it was like, our season's on the line. What are we going to do? And, and that's where it's tough. But we got to wrap this up here. So we're going to move on to the last Eastern Conference series, the Cavs and the Knicks. Another bit of a surpriser, but not completely surprising. The Knicks win this one in five against the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Cavaliers back in the playoffs for the first time in a while. So talk to me, Rhett. What did you take from this series? Rebounding and toughness can win a series, even if you're fraudulent. All NBA players struggles. Uh, I am not a Julius Randle fan. I don't think he's actually very good. He just puts up a lot of stats. So he's going to make all NBA. I just don't think he's good. But not only that, the Knicks using cap space instead of trading all their assets for Donovan Mitchell sure looks like a pretty darn good decision, wouldn't you say? Yeah, Donovan Mitchell looked awesome in game one. And really, I just, I don't know. I will say this. Jared Allen... Publicly saying that the Knicks crowd impacted them. I understand that he's being honest, but I, I and I know that that's probably like okay to say, I guess, but it's like, I don't want to hear that from my big. And let's go there. Can a double big lineup work in the NBA and be successful? Not I mean, when they have redundant flaws. Exactly. And the Cavaliers, what do they have? They have two smaller guards and they have two centers. And what are they trying to do at three? Karis LeVert. Isaac Okoro, guys that can't shoot the basketball. Man, roster construction really does matter. And I do like the players that the Cavaliers have. I think I think Evan Mobley is for sure a guy. You just let him develop. This is a great experience for him. I think you got to keep him. Donovan Mitchell, I don't know if I would have gone all in for Donovan Mitchell, but you know it is what it is. They did it. I think he's a good player. Darius Garland is a really good player as well. You've got to find pieces that complement those three better than I think Jared Allen does and Isaac Okoro and Karis LeVert. So I think the Pacers can take a, you know, a play out of their, out of their book and say, okay, do we go all in for a guy like Donovan Mitchell? That's going to be kind of smaller, put us in a weird position defensively, or, or, or do we have the capacities to take on someone like that with the roster we have? I, I just think they've got to make sure they don't get down that, that rabbit trail of, of going, into this roster construction thing with so many flaws, because I think at this point you could say Aaron Neesmith probably would have been a better choice for the Cavs at the starting three than Laverta or Cora were. Easily. 
easily. And that's the, that ties into two points that I have. One is that having five starting level players that fit is more important than forcing a player into a role that isn't ideal for them or the roster. So by that, I mean, it might actually make more sense for the Pacers to run a lineup of Halliburton, Matherin, Nimhard than Halliburton, Matherin, Neesmith. Like, mm-hmm. depending on who you get at the four and Miles out there, like, it might actually make more sense to play undersized at the three if it makes more sense rather than shoehorning somebody like Lavert in there or Okoro in there who are three-sized but don't actually have the skill set to match up with and complement the players that are out there. And then also just the idea of I crawl, walk, run. I've written about it for iPacers blog over at Derek's site. The Cavs sent all of their assets for Donovan Mitchell, and he's under contract for a while. I've already said it. It's, I probably would do the same. But they, the Knicks decided to not send all of their assets to bring in somebody who might make the roster flawed like it did with Cleveland when they weren't sure if he would get them to the level that he would need to get them to to make all of those picks worth it. That was a really long sentence. I'm sorry about that, yeah, but I hope good. that makes sense. Like you, like is Donovan Mitchell the player to go all in for? Maybe. Do you have the roster to supplement that? Maybe. Yeah. Do you have assets left over? Not really. So now what? And I think we're going to see the now what. But I, I, this wasn't a one term or one year move for the Cavs, so I'm not trying to disparage it too much. The Knicks just outright outplayed them. Talking about ballers and gamers, like they just went out there, punched them in the mouth. And like I said, late first round pick for Josh Hart. Sometimes you can turn an expiring, a late first round pick into an expiring contract into a long-term piece rather than just considering them a free agent. Hint, hint, wink, wink, a certain other forward out there, huh? I I love the Josh Hart trade. I think you're seeing now why this paid off so much. And I I love the action. I mean, he's just a fun player to root for. Yep. And him singing Don't Stop Believing in the Garden, being (laughs) mic'd up and like Thibodeau saying, I'm about to put you back in here for this. And you know, I think I think Tibbs has done a good job of adjusting a little bit in terms of not relying so heavily on his veterans because he's really dipped into the youth. I think Obi Toppin has taken a step forward. I think obviously Emmanuel Quickly has been good. Quentin Grimes has been good, but you're still relying on Jalen Brunson to be the guy. And and like you said, Julius Randle is the All Star, and I think this is a great point brought up on someone else's podcast. Can't remember, but it would be easy to not bench your All Star because he's not playing well. And he was kind of pouting a little bit out there on the floor. Yes, and, he was. And just go out there and change it up a little bit and say, hey, Jalen Brunson is our alpha. I know you're our all-star, but he is the guy that's going to take us where we need to go. And I think you can look back at Dallas's run last year. I mean, the Utah Jazz were a very tough matchup. And we can make fun of Rudy Gobert all we want, but it's still a tough matchup. And they were able to find ways to attack that. And we we can see, I think Quinn Snyder is a good basketball coach. I, I think that... He can maximize the talent you have on your roster for sure. And look what he did with Atlanta this year, just coming in, taking over from McMillan. So, uh, but I just want to say quickly, I, I just love that Jalen Brunson is getting the flowers that he deserves because a lot of people thought he was right in the coattails of Luca. No, this guy is a baller. And as much as there was debate between Tyrese and Jalen Brunson, two totally different players, I still think long term, I want Tyrese Halliburton on my team. Man, there's a reason why I was in, in, in intrigued last year when he was a free agent. Like, could they have played it together? And I I know that there have been a lot of roster flaws, but I still think that they probably could have because I think Jalen Brunson is a smart defender, even though he's undersized. And he he could have been a pacer instead of Aaron Holiday, too. So just remember that. 
Yeah. Uh, last thing before uh, we head out, I think a bench full of cheap young players who have a chip on their shoulder is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. However, how much better would Obi Toppin have been this series if he had been able to play rather than playing Julius Randle 37 minutes a game the last three years? Yeah, you're right. Also I mean, that. I mean, Obi Toppin's definitely a name that a lot of Pacer fans have kept their eyes on. Yep. And I think that, like you said, the way they built this roster, nobody expected this. And so they've no. overachieved for sure. Um, R.J. Barrett's development, not trading him, I think that's been huge. I like R.J. Barrett a lot. But also and, not optimizing his development the last couple of years to favor Julius Randle, too. Like, he stepped yeah. up. How much better would he be if he was in a better position? You can make that case for almost everybody that's yeah. on that team. Yep. And I'm just glad that, you know, the Derrick Rose minutes are no longer there, right? <laughs> Evan Fournier. Yeah, Evan Fournier, the Kemba Walkers. Like, they went away from getting these veterans and just letting yeah. the youth play. Yep. And the last thing I'll say, I really like what they did in free agency because they got Jalen Brunson, but Isaiah yep. Hartenstein as a backup yes. center was the right player to, to go get for this team. And I think mm-hmm. you don't have to have the flashy names, but the right names. So yep. the Pacers, while they have cap space and, and they have little roster space, just consolidating the roster and making the right moves is a big, big thing to look forward to. And instead of just trying to like, oh, let's get all these young guys that don't really fit. I, I think that's kind of the thing because re-signing Jalen Smith, keeping Miles, and then having Isaiah Jackson, now you just have a logjam for no reason. Yeah. And then you don't trade Daniel Tice. So it just yeah. kind of makes things a little bit, you know, it just muddies the water a little bit. I think the front office and the coaching staff real, like not being so stubborn in their mistakes too, like trading for Cam Reddish and then not playing him, signing Evan Fournier, not playing him, Kimba, not playing him, Rose, Nerlens Noel, same thing. Like they were not so stubborn in the decisions that they made in the past that they kept hurting the team in that way. So I think that that's a good thing to take away as well. Awesome stuff. Well, Rhett, you can find all of his work on his Twitter account. Is it, under, is it Rhett underscore Bauer or is it Bauer underscore Rhett? Uh, Rhett underscore Bauer. Okay. I couldn't remember. I was like, is it the last name first? I know some <laughs> people do that. Rhett underscore Bauer. Find all of his work there. Make sure you guys give him a follow. He's on social media too, other places, but let's just stick with Twitter. That's where he's most active. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to another episode here of Setting the Pace. You know the rundown. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're excited for the Pacers future, then hit me with those three words, Red. Let's go, Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.